Hi, this is producer Molly Donahue, and I'm in charge of this show now. Today, this episode. Okay, yes, this episode. Sam's here too. Say hi, Sam. Hi. And I am here today with a report from my summer vacation. In which apparently there were sheep? In fact, there were sheep. I did something I've been wanting to do for a while. It's a pretty cheap way to go see another country, hang out with the locals. It's called woofing. Which is an acronym, and it stands for... Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. W-W-O-O-F. Yes. So depending on what type of circles you roll in, either you've probably heard of a lot of people who've gone woofing, or this sounds totally crazy to you. But basically, it's a website that pairs up volunteers looking to travel with farms that are looking for workers, and in exchange for some free labor, workers get free room and board. It's a way to travel for cheap. It's also a great way to get into some unbelievably strange situations. And this happens all over the world. I went to Ireland for a few weeks and stayed on a small working farm, you know, with some sheep, some cows, horses, chickens, idyllic Irish countryside. But there's all sorts of experiences out there. Orchards, vineyards, sheep farms, you name it. And I had a really amazing time. But from some of the stories I've heard, you never really know what you're going to get into with woofing. Some people have found themselves sleeping in barns, eating nothing but potatoes, or watching rockets cross from the Gaza Strip. So we've decided to put together a guide to help prepare would-be woofers. Based on the stories we've collected from previous woofers, hosts, our own experiences. So without much further ado, we humbly present The Hitchhiker's Guide to Woofing. So Sam, you also went woofing. Where did you go? We were in southern France and we were in southern Spain. And how long were you there for? We were there for 10 months. That is a really long time. That is a stupid amount of time. <laughs> so do you feel like you've built up some good advice for future woofers? We'll see. Okay, well, let's start with our first bit of vital information. Visas are complicated. That is the voice of NHPR's Sean Hurley. Thank you, Sean. I thought he would bring a certain authority to the guide. He brings authority wherever he goes. Yes, he totally does. But back to the point. Visas are complicated. Woofers don't get paid, but what they do is a form of work. And in some countries, you're not allowed to woof unless you get a visa. But if you're a 20-something woofing on a whim, that might seem like a lot of trouble. How important is a visa, right? Interesting question, Sam, because here is a little story from Claire. When she and her girlfriend tried going through Irish customs, they told border agents they were visiting a friend. A story that quickly unraveled. They totally called us on our live. They guessed exactly what we were doing and at that point we couldn't keep lying to them and we just had to come out with the truth and I think they're um, more mad that we had started out with a lie than anything else. Claire woofed in Sweden and Spain for two months with no problems but Ireland's a different story. Oh god it was pretty embarrassing. Um, we they, they put us in a little cell and kept us there for a few hours and then they came and they were like well we can't let you enter the country and we started crying, and then as soon as that happened, they took our mug shots. Turns out Ireland is one of a handful of countries where there is a special visa just for woofers and other work exchange programs called a working holiday visa. And, as it happens, the requirements on these visas are pretty stringent. 
They're basically only for 20-somethings straight out of college. And other places consider you to be just like any other tourist, like Europe, where you can stay for just three months, which is why Claire got shuttled back to Copenhagen after getting stopped at Irish Customs. But wait, when you were over there with your wife, Aubrey, didn't you stay in Europe for 10 months? <laughs> yeah, uh, about that. We got back to the airport, we're flying to the United States, and then there was this like enormous, I mean, quint, kind of like your quintessential stereotype of an Icelandic woman. She looked at our passports and our entry dates and right away knew that we were not just ordinary tourists. Wait, so what was your plan? We basically just planned to play dumb, like we pretended we didn't know the rules at all. So what happened? First, yeah. At first she was like, she was like, stay here. And we're like, wait, what does this mean? She goes, it means you're in deep shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then, but then, uh, and then we sat there for a while and then she came back with the passports and we were like, <gasps> you know, like, you know, heart in your throat. And, and she's like, okay. And like, get on the plane. And it's like, wait, what, what's going on? And she's like, well, you cannot come back to Europe for three months. And she's like, <laughs> okay. You guys are so very lucky. We were pretty dumb. That is, that is what we were. We were dumb. <laughs> Okay, but so these issues aside, once you get them all cleared up, once you get to a place, you have to really be ready to play along. These people are hosting you. They're giving you a place to sleep. And so that brings us to the next tip. You've got to be game. In a span of me arriving and barely shaking anybody's hand, I had my hand like inside of a chicken, like <laughs> scraping out the lungs and doing... And I was just like, you know what? When when am I ever going to do this? Like, ever again. This is Ian. Uh, he went woofing on a farm in Oregon because he was trying to fill a few weeks between finishing a big backpacking trip with his brother and starting a course with the National Outdoor Leadership School. He was definitely not looking to have some sort of life-changing experience about learning where his food comes from. But that's kind of what he got. Let's just roll that turkey tape. <laughs> so, so Ken would have us hold these huge turkeys because otherwise they flap and they freak out. So so he would say, "All right, you got to hold them." So you'd fold the wings in and hold them. And you know, like they're big, so you kind of have to like hold them against your body and get your arms around them real tight. And they're strong birds. And then like back by your knee, Ken would slit their necks and kind of hold like hold their heads so the blood didn't go down your leg. <laughs> but you're holding this huge bird and you're like listening to its heart slow down and you feel its last heartbeat and that the chickens was one thing holding this bird while it drained of blood was just weird i mean i feel like i should have something more eloquent to say about it <laughs> but it was it was very surreal the first time we did that that's really wild. Yeah, and you've got to be ready to roll with the punches. Sometimes that means slaughtering poultry, and sometimes it means just adapting to a new diet. Which sometimes is hard. Andy, for instance, woofed in New Zealand, and they were doing hard physical labor, digging post holes for fencing, and they would come in for dinner totally famished, only to find that for meals... We were uh, mashing up chickpeas to make a chickpea patty burger, and they liked putting uh, hummus on top of it, which is also chickpeas. Chickpeas upon chickpeas. Ugh, sounds rough. I mean, some people, I'm looking at you, vegans, 
love chickpeas. <laughs> but I have heard lots of stories like this. I once interviewed a woman who was at a wolf farm where they fed her toast three meals a day and did not provide hot water. Yeah, that's that's not great. Mm -hmm. So there is a fine line you've got to walk. You have to be game, but you also have to know your limits. For example, you might decide that you don't want to work with pesticides or mysterious chemicals on your woofing vacation. Organic is in the name of the program, after all. But we spoke with Shay, another person who woofed in New Zealand, who ran into some problems with that. So it was marketed as a sheep farm on the woofing website, and it was also run by a single older man. And then he gave us these massive pesticide tanks to wear on our backs with these like handheld sprayers <laughs> and wanted us to go and spray all these weeds. And we were wondering, is this really an organic farm? Not to stereotype, but from the stories I heard, the placements with older single guys had a much higher chance of going sideways. Shay mentioned that she had stayed on another farm run by a guy by himself, and it got a little weird there too. As part of tending to the vegetable garden and some of his fruit trees, he, his technique for using fertilizer was to save his own urine in plastic water bottles. Um, so he stockpiled them in his house and then asked my friend and I to mix in this urine with the water that we were using to water these plants. So we had to do that. I mean, to, to be fair, urine is a legitimate source of fertilizer. Okay, hold on, Sam. Urine might be a good fertilizer, but that is not the concerning part of that story. If you want to use your own urine to fertilize your plants, you need to handle that yourself <laughs> instead of asking a couple of unpaid volunteers who just show up. Totally fair. And it's also probably not super cool to invite volunteers into a house full of bottles of stockpiled urine. Yeah. And that incredibly uncomfortable situation leads to our next rule, which is based on a lot of evidence that... Woofing is harder as a woman. Especially if your wolf host is a guy. He would take all of his baths in the stream every day <laughs> and just be walking around the property naked with no warning. To be clear, that is a different host than the first weird single guy. Shay really won the weird host lottery on her trip. And you know, part of that is because it's really hard being a lady out there with only the vague internet promise that your host isn't a total wackadoo. I will be honest that this is not totally surprising. Oh, yeah? Did you and Aubrey sort of experience this when you were abroad? There was this one farm in particular in southern Spain where this was an issue. You know, he would be like, okay, Sam, like, we're going to go chop, I don't know, little things off almond trees or prune the olive trees or this and that, and then... Aubrey, why don't you clean the kitchen? <gasps> and uh, I don't know. At first, you're like, okay. <laughs> and um, I don't know. After a while, it became clear that he just thought that was useless. And this pretty much totally soured that whole experience with that farm. And it's not like this is something that just women notice. For example, here's Jacob, who worked on a farm in Norway for a guy named Daniel. That weekend, a, a German woman you know, probably in her 40s or 50s, came to stay for a week. But she couldn't handle the disorganization and, you know, how his uh, Daniel was. And, and honestly, I'm pretty sure Daniel was kind of hitting on her at times as well, so, which made it a bit awkward. I mean, nothing too... I mean, then again, I couldn't really understand the German. That is gross. It is so gross. 
Because what are you going to do? You're hanging out with these hosts, probably somewhere pretty rural. And sometimes there aren't other volunteers or neighbors, so things can get awkward. And the stories just keep getting more awkward. That's after a quick break. Right. So producer Molly Donahue and I are teaching you what it's like to woof. If you're just jumping in now, woofing lets you volunteer on a farm as a way to travel for cheap. And I feel like we've laid down some pretty solid lessons. Yeah, you've got to get your visa situation sorted. You've got to be ready to roll with the punches. And if you're a lady, be ready to stick up for yourself. But this next one is a biggie, because I kind of think it really defines woofing. You are all up in people's business. So where we woofed, we actually had a lot of space. We were in this big, beautiful country farmhouse, and we had our own bathroom for most of the trip. Uh, yeah, we had we had a lot of times where we had our own space. There were some where you would wander into the bathroom and find the host sitting there on the pot, uh, you know, in the morning. Oh. That happened one time. Oh. Uh, so you, you get all sorts. Yeah. But no matter how much space you have, most woofing setups mean you're privy to a lot. Oh, yeah. For example, Jacob from before was living with that family of four. And in addition to learning how to plow fields with horse-drawn equipment, you know, limited technology, he also kind of had a front-row seat to the disintegration of a marriage. Oof. And I'd wake up many mornings like hearing them shouting at each other and all this, and then, you know, there was a one- and three-year-old, and I hadn't spent much time with kids before, and, and so uh, trying to deal with them when they were clearly very upset because their parents weren't doing too well. Um, it was was quite interesting. Jacob says the husband even started having these deep philosophical conversations about marriage with him. Uh, Next few days, whenever we'd go out to milk the cows, he'd continue talking to me about these ideas. And and then he'd start to ask me, so what do you think? And and at the time I was 23, I'm now 24. And I'm just thinking, like, you're a 40-something-year-old man with a one-year-old and a three-year-old asking me for parental advice. And and I'm just figuring out the best way to tell him, you know, I am not at all qualified uh, to, to tell you what to do with your life. Even if you're not subbing in as a therapist, it can get really claustrophobic to be all up in someone else's space. Oh, for sure. You're sharing all your meals, no matter how delicious they might be. You're always conscious of putting things back just so. Which is what we heard from our hosts. Which brings us to our penultimate rule. BR. Good guest. We reached out to our hosts for some of their stories of Woofer's past, and we're reminded that this is definitely a two-way street. You're trusting your host, but they're trusting you as well. So this is Maria Jesus. She was Aubrey and my favorite Woof host of our whole trip. Uh, they have this wonderful cheesery, quesería, where they make goat cheese in southern Spain. And over the years, they've had 70 woofers. So they've had the full spectrum from really, really helpful and amazing people to total waste of space. For example, this gentleman. There she's saying that they had a Brazilian show up who showed up, took a shower, ate dinner, and then disappeared the next day without saying anything. They also had a kitchen where they just sort of provided you with groceries and you would cook for yourself. But she said she had two Austrian women who didn't know how to cook at all. That's Maria saying that she had to teach them how to cut up a tomato. <laughs> so my host, Anne, was delightful and accommodating and amazing cook. 
But, you know, there comes a point on working farms where you need to realize what you're getting yourself into. The Italian couple, oh, yes, who arrived. They were absolutely delightful, but she announced the night she arrived, I'm vegetarian. And I said, oh, well, we're eating ham tonight. Oh, that's all right, I eat ham. And I said, okay, you're vegetarian, but you eat ham. And that's all right, she did eat ham and she ate everything else without any other meat. And until the day she discovered that the ham was actually our own pigs. <gasps> I can't do that. I can't eat it. Uh, I can't bear to think that they are suffering. So not everybody has a grip on reality about what happens to farm animals. Right, which is kind of what you get when you've got a bunch of amateurs out on your farm. Right, but it's also good to have the legacy of other woofers to look up to. For instance, one of Anne's recurring woofers is a guy called Bob. Bab, if you're feeling Irish. And he came my first winter. He arrived on New Year's Eve. And we both fell asleep and forgot about the New Year. He stayed with me for three months and saw me through everything. <laughs> and he wasn't a practical person. He wasn't from farming stock, but he just got his head down and got on with it, whatever needed doing. And that's really what it comes down to. Just be willing to get your hands dirty, right? Right. Because despite everything we've just told you... You'll probably love it. At least, these people did. There are some very run-of-the-mill wolf farms out there. Just good families making a hard-scrabble living. But then there are some absolutely unbelievable ones. Um, so we lived in a 36-room stone castle built into the side of a mountain... This is Jeremy, who went woofing in Spain, Italy, Israel, and Wales uh, during a gap year in between high school and college. And it sounds like he had quite the coming-of-age experience over there. At this one farm in Italy, he was living with what sounds like the descendant of the feudal lord who used to rule over the village that he lived in. One morning, we all woke up, and there was a note on the kitchen table. And he said, um, I've gone out. I won't be back for another couple of days. Here's a list of chores. Please get them all done. Um, before I get back, I'll be back, whatever, Wednesday evening. Um, and on Wednesday, don't prepare dinner. I will make you dinner. He said, great. And there was a long list of chores, a lot of stuff to do. Um, and we worked for those two or three days, like, nonstop, because we were excited. This had never happened before. So we got back to the castle Wednesday evening, and we walked into the dining room, and there was a hog on the table, a wild boar, basically. It was on the table, stuffed Hawaiian-style there was gnocchi and sauces and all sorts of stuff on the table. It was beautiful. There were guests over. And, we, you know, we were all flabbergasted. It was an amazing meal. Mm. So we had this great meal, and we ate, and we drank, and we had a great time with everybody. And we asked him. We were like, so where'd you go? Like, where'd you get this? And he said, oh, well, I went hunting on the mountain. And the mountain is a national park. And like in the United States, you're not allowed to hunt on national parks. And uh, we were like, but... That's a national park. And he looked at us. He was like, yeah, but my family used to own it, so they let me hunt there. <laughs> and he went and he hunted a wild boar and brought it back and cooked it for us. <laughs> Do you think that's true? Um, we all believed it, and none of us questioned it. So <laughs> I like to think that it's true. He's got all these stories about stumbling back to the farm from debauched lunch dates, drinking homemade wine down in the village or getting dragged from bar to bar to do shots of whiskey first thing in the morning. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So, well, it sounds like he enjoyed this really idyllic Italian experience. He then went to Israel and worked on an herb farm right next to the border with the Gaza Strip. And this was in 2007, right, as a new round of hostilities kicked off again. He says they could see the rockets flying over from Gaza at night. 
And so the Teva Dome, which is the bomb, you know, shelter in place or the, the bomb alarm would go off around the town on big loudspeakers and everyone had to carry fanny packs with their, their emergency kit in it. So after the first or second night, my boss gave us our satellite phone and said, hey, every, and there were four of us, she said, everybody needs to call your parents. I don't care how old you are, how independent you are. If they want you to leave, you leave. Yikes. Yeah. These are not the kinds of experiences you're going to get while riding a tour bus through the historic district of some old European city. Definitely not. But keep in mind, I do not like sleeping on the ground or taking cold showers or many of the other things I've heard woofers have to endure. And I loved woofing. Yeah, and actually, we asked everyone we talked to whether they would try woofing again or recommend it to other people. And... Absolutely, yeah. Oh, incredibly. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, oh, overall, it was totally amazing. I would definitely recommend woofing. I think it, it was definitely a great way to travel, to see a different area that I wouldn't have been able, I could not have spent two months in New Zealand. I mean, because the thing that always got me through it is that it's temporary, you know, and that's, that's the best thing about it. So you could put yourself through hell, but knowing that there's nothing keeping you there, and you could always leave. That concludes the Hitchhiker's Guide to Woofing. Oh, we did we did call it that at the beginning, didn't we? It's a great title. <laughs> so I guess we pretty much just have to end with some sort of Hitchhiker's Guide get joke, don't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so long, and thanks for all the chickpeas. Outside In was produced this week by me, Molly Donahue, with help from Sam Evans-Brown, Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, Jimmy Gutierrez, Hannah McCarthy, and Logan Shannon. Thanks to everyone who responded and shared their sometimes shocking, always entertaining woofing stories. Music from this week's episode came to us from Gillicuddy, and our theme music is from Breakmaster Cylinder. If you've got a question for the Ask Sam hotline, give us a call. We are always looking for rabbit holes to dive down into. Leave us a voicemail at one 84 Four go otter. That's 844-466-8837. And don't forget to leave your number so we can call you back. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Mm-hmm.